Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Square Mile's Talking Research podcast. I'm Mark Harris, Chief Investment Officer, and this month I'm joined by James Ashley, Head of International Market Strategy at Goldman Sachs Asset Management, and Hugh Gimber, Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management, to discuss the hot topic of inflation. James and Hugh offer insights on the global inflation backdrop from how companies are reacting to the outlook for inflation in the UK, as well as sharing their thoughts on the current geopolitical environment. Firstly, welcome, James. Could you start by summarising the global inflation backdrop? Firstly, thanks for having me on the podcast. I appreciate the invitation. Uh, And yeah, with great pleasure. I think the key word would be elevated, or if you want it even more simply, high. I mean, inflation is higher in most countries, most regions, than it has been for a very, very long time. The key question that policymakers and investors are having to wrestle with is how sustainable is that? And I think a lot of it comes down to what's behind it. We know that there are supply bottlenecks right now that are contributing towards that. We know there are base effects because of the collapsing commodity prices last year and the normalization that we've seen over the past several months. Those are things that should wash out. The key uncertainty is about how much of the demand-driven inflation are we likely to see on an ongoing basis? Because if we have this huge amount of fiscal and monetary stimulus that's going to lead to huge ongoing consumption, then that becomes an inflationary impulse that you perhaps can't just look through and say it's for one or two, three months. It's something that does matter over the next one or two, three years. The Fed, the, the Federal Reserve in the US, they're saying that this is transitory. It's going to be here with us for the next three, six months. That's a view that we would broadly agree with. Uh, But if you look ahead to next year, there are one or two regions where you say it might be a little bit more sticky. So to characterize it, it's elevated right now. In most, but not all regions, we're probably at the peak of inflation. The key question is how quickly does it come down from here? And what's the medium term outlook for inflation in the UK? And is, is the UK unusual in some regards? Look, in the UK's case, it's unusual in two regards. Um, Most regions, I just mentioned the US and the the Federal Reserve and how they're going to be looking at this. Um, We're probably at peak inflation now. And the question is, how quickly do we decelerate or not from here? In the UK's case, we're yet to hit the peak for a variety of reasons that we probably don't need to get into on on this particular podcast. But um, we're probably now at a point where inflation, having reached 2.5% on CPI, is going to be peaking well above 3%, may even be touching as high as 4 potentially. I wouldn't expect that, but certainly well over 3 So it's unusual in the sense that we're not yet at the peak. And it's also unusual in the sense that I think the Bank of England is starting to rattle its sabre a little bit in response to that inflation outlook. I've already mentioned the Fed and said they're they're characterising the current inflation outlook as being transitory. They're saying that we might begin to hike rates and normalise policy sometime in 2023. The ECB is saying they're not going to normalise for a very, very long period of time. What you've seen in the UK just over the past couple of weeks is that one or two members of the MPC have come out with statements which suggest they are getting a little bit uncomfortable with the inflation outlook. So it's not just the inflation numbers themselves, where, as I've said, we've yet to peak, that is unusual in the UK, but it's the tolerance of the central bank's lack of tolerance for that that also marks the UK out as an interesting case. And James, turning to politics and geopolitics, can I ask you, what do you think is President Biden's agenda on China? Wow, that's an open-ended question. There's a, we, we could spend a full hour talking just about that. Um, I think the, the, the key element there is to decide, 
are we heading to some kind of Cold War style confrontation or is this going to be some coalition driven competition? We're very much in the latter camp. And the reason for that is that the Cold War analogy just doesn't stack up. When you look at the degree of interdependence and interaction, certainly on the economic and financial side of things between the US and China, I just don't think it's a helpful analogy. That is not to say that there are no points of friction or points of contention between the US and China. There are many points of conflict. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that it's not universal though. So the US will work with China where there are areas of common interest. Climate change is an obvious case in point. But President Biden's command said that there is a, there is a, a serious competition between the two countries. So there are gonna be areas where um, they, are, they are in some senses rivals. I think the objective from the US perspective is going to be to try and strengthen alliances and relationships within Asia to in some ways try and contain China's degree of influence. So Biden is looking to build a strategic framework to try and facilitate that. And I think from an investment perspective, what that means is that although things might perhaps be a bit more transparent and predictable than under the prior US administration, there will still be spikes in geopolitical tension. There will be still spikes in volatility and investors need to be positioned in anticipation of that. Talk about conflict. Can you describe the current relationship between Russia and the USA? Yeah. Yeah. So let me go back. And I mentioned that Biden has characterized China as being a quote unquote, serious competitor um, with the US. That was in a speech or some comments he made, I believe in September of last year. In that same speech, he characterized Russia as being an opponent of the US, which clearly has a whole different set of connotations to it. And if you look back just over the past week or so, there's ample evidence to suggest that the US-Russia relationship has become much more fractious. So uh, the FT carrying us a story just a day or two ago about how the US and Germany have reached a truce over the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That's about energy security into Western Europe coming from Russia, where the US is clearly trying to exert some degree of influence because it does see Russia and Russian influence as being some way confrontational or or challenging to the US. So um, I, th I think US-Russia relations are going to be perhaps quite challenging in the years ahead. And again, it's just another manifestation of where we might see those, those spikes in geopolitical tensions, which clearly have relevance. Even if you're not, not trading Russian assets or US assets directly, it will have externalities and spillovers into the broader market. Now, turning to the UK, how is Brexit actually going? I mean, we heard recently that food exports from Britain to the continent were down 50%. Is this a teething issue or is it a sign of a fundamental change in our exports? I don't think those two positions are mutually exclusive. Um, it, it's certainly true that for many industries, for many sectors, the past few months have um, thrown up all sorts of teething issues and difficulties as they realign and reconfigure to the new relationship. Um, but I don't think it's just teething issues. Brexit fundamentally changes the long-term relationship from an economic and trade perspective between the UK and the EU. That's, that's one of the whole purposes of Brexit. It was, it was to, to achieve that, I think. Um, so what you're seeing right now is a combination of teething difficulties that are probably inevitable, given the kind of profound changes that we're looking at 
on the trading side of things, but also the fact that on an ongoing long-term basis, we will have a degree of friction. There will be um, grit in the system, if you like, between the UK and the EU when it comes to seamless trading across borders. You know, as soon as the UK made the decision to leave the single market and the customs union, you inevitably embark on a path where you're looking at a, a more difficult trading relationships. There's, there's degrees of difficulty. It might be marginal, it might be profound, and that will vary from sector to sector. And I make no comments about whether Brexit is a good or a bad thing. That's inherently a political question. But from a purely economics and trading perspective, the relationship between the UK and the EU is going to be more difficult on an ongoing basis. So yeah, there's absolutely teething issues, but there's also something more profound and long-term there about the UK-EU relationship. And James, bearing in mind all these things that you've just said, what are the Goldman Sachs asset allocation views and advice on how to make the most of these opportunities in your investment portfolios? I mean, the standard um, investment principles very much apply. Be diversified, be long-term, don't try to be too tactical. Um, our key overarching message right now would still be that equities are likely to outperform bonds. Um, but be realistic about the degree of upside. If you look at US equities, for example, they're trading at record highs. Um, I think there probably is more upside there, but be realistic at these valuations, how much further there is to go. I think markets like Europe, like emerging markets like Japan, perhaps become more attractive. Um, from a rate perspective, I think we may see some re-steepening of yield curves. If you look at the US, you know, 10-year trading back down around 1.2% seems a bit of an overshoot. I think you can see that move back higher. Um, so therefore, being a little bit cautious in government bond markets, I think from a credit perspective, spreads are likely to remain pretty tight. If you've got a, a very robust macro backdrop, growth is going to be strong for the next year or two years, perhaps even longer. And central banks are, for the most part, going to be keeping policy ultra accommodative. That's pretty supportive from a credit perspective. So key takeaway, equities to outperform credit, credit to outperform government bonds. James, thank you. A pleasure. Thank you. Now, I'm delighted to introduce my second guest, Hugh. Welcome. Now, firstly, we know inflation is rising, but what matters more to markets, the size of the inflation spike or the persistence of the spike? Hi, Mark, and thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. I think it's a really important question. It's what the central banks have been most focused on this year, because they came into 2021 knowing, like I think most economists did, that inflation was likely to rise. It's no surprise that we've had this spike coming in inflation, because when you're comparing prices this year to what was really a lockdown economy last year, it's no surprise that you get that big spike in the year-on-year -year comparison. So for the central banks, they're not that worried, I don't think, about the size of a temporary spike. If you were to tell them now, that yes, inflation is going to rise, but say by the end of the year, it's going to be fading back to target, then I don't think that would give them too much of a problem. Because when you look at where inflation is rising, there's a clear suggestion that lots of this is due to the reopening of the economy. It's about consumers being able to go out and spend, go back to the things that they've missed doing over the past 12 to 18 months, and that is having a real impact on driving prices higher. You just think about anyone that's been trying to book a holiday or book a restaurant in a local, as uh, book a meal in a local restaurant, you know, you're seeing that there's this mismatch to between supply and demand. Now, for me, what's key here, we need to ignore the temporary factors wherever possible. 
They're not going to influence the central banks. We need to focus on the issues that are going to be potentially driving inflation higher still in 12 months' time or in 18 months' time. Not just the reopening effect, but rather more fundamental drivers of inflation. And that's where we're spending a lot of time on the labor market. Because when wages start to rise, as there are signs that they might be now, that's the type of issue that I think could give the central banks a bit more of a headache. Now, the UK economy is clearly rebounding sharply. How does the domestic recovery compare to our international peers? So the UK economy is really interesting at the moment because I think it's almost being viewed as a test case, really, for the rest of the world. In that we know we came into 2021, thankfully, making great progress on vaccine rollout. So compared to international peers, rates of vaccinations in the UK have been very strong. And with that has come a recovery in what we think of as mobility. In other words, we have different measures of how much people are moving around. We track data um, that's publicly available from things like Google Maps, for example, or Uber or Airbnb to try and get a gauge for how much people are moving around. And we've seen that really you've had the UK looking pretty strong in comparison to international peers, particularly in comparison to the Eurozone, where the vaccination programs were slower earlier in the year. The big question now is what does the reopening do? I think all eyes will really be on the UK economy as probably the first test case for a global economy that has seen a really strong vaccination rate and is now reducing restrictions, taking them away with the hope that this isn't going to lead to a knock-on impact on hospitalizations. And how are companies reacting to higher inflation? Are corporate earnings coming under pressure? I think there's a real high amount of angst when I talk to clients today about the impact of inflation on the stock market. Because in really simple terms, if you think back over the past decade, we've largely been in a global environment of relatively low inflation, declining bond yields, declining interest rates, and the stock market doing very well. So I think it's quite natural at this point that for many people, the question is coming up, well, hang on, if we're in a rising inflation environment, if bond yields are heading higher, interest rates might be heading higher, should that be putting pressure on the equity market? But when you look at the data, history tells us that actually there's a pretty consistent relationship of earnings and inflation rising together. Higher inflation doesn't have to be negative for the stock market. What matters, in my view, is what's driving inflation higher. Because provided that you're in an environment where demand is really strong, what you find is that companies are then willing to pass on some of those higher input costs to their consumers. Exactly what we're seeing in the UK today, where we know that companies are facing pressure on their supply chains, but they feel like consumers are confident enough and wealthy enough to be willing to pay up for higher prices. So in that scenario, higher inflation doesn't have to be bad for corporate earnings. We're seeing a very strong earnings outlook today. The final point I'd make on this though, is that a higher inflation environment can really influence the leadership underneath the level of headline stock markets. So what you see, we've been seeing this through periods of this year, is that companies that tend to be better tapped into economic growth, 
think about a company like an industrials company or a manufacturer, for example, that is more sensitive to the strength or weakness of the economy, they tend to come to the fore in this kind of environment. The banks or energy companies would be other examples. And we've seen a real rotation in the stock market this year away from the winners of the pandemic, think your big tech and the online names that did so well last year, towards more sensitive sectors to what's going on in the real economy today. We think that there's more room for that rotation towards more cyclical parts of the market or more value type sectors to continue to do well. If inflation is the main downside risk to markets currently, uh, what would you view as the main upside risk? Yeah, I think it's a, a good place to end because obviously we should be thinking about both downside and upside risks at all times. Inflation being the main downside risk on the upside, for me, it's about business investment. Now, let me explain why. So the type of environment that we're most concerned about is one where inflation stays high and growth fades. You see a high inflation, low growth environment as a really difficult one for lots of different markets. So what I'm looking for in the economy is ways that you could get actually to a strong growth environment and the right type of growth, healthy growth, one where wages are growing, the jobs market is strong, businesses are investing generally in that type of scenario. And it's been really notable coming out of this pandemic, thanks to the enormous support that's been put in place by governments and central banks over the past 12 to 18 months, that businesses seem to be feeling a bit more confident, particularly in their willingness to invest. I think lots of people have learned that given the progress that's been made through the use of technology, for example, with everyone working from home, businesses are telling us now that they're keen to keep spending to reinforce infrastructure, particularly with a digital angle. So business investment looks to be picking up much more quickly than we saw post the financial crisis. Stronger business investment could lead to better productivity in the economy, and that should hopefully lead us to the right mix of growth and inflation in the years to come. So that's something I'll be especially focused on, whether those intentions for businesses to spend more really do translate into higher spending ahead. Thank you to both Hugh and James for joining me today. We hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of Talking Research. To keep up to date with the latest releases, please follow us on Spotify or Apple Music. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on the 22nd of July, 2021. It is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity and it's not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.